Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 2-27-2022, and we are continuing our service with the thought of the week and prayer. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Take it from John chapter 16, verse 13. God's Holy Spirit will guide us. This is important information to those who want to keep and step with the Father's plan. All of the jobs the Holy Spirit has, this is the most important. Everyone wants to think that what they believe in is absolutely true, especially when it comes to biblical doctrine. Sometimes we think that we have some most important. Everyone wants to think that that when they believe is absolutely true, especially when it comes to biblical doctrine. Somehow we think that we must have some internal monitor which detects truth and is able to distinguish what is or what is not true. To think that we need a guide is to say that we, of ourselves, are incapable of arriving at truth. Then, some would use their eternal intuition, their emotional conscience, or what feels right as the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In doing so, in doing this, we are resisting the Holy Spirit guidance. We need to be distrustful of our inclinations because the Spirit is trying to teach. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what the human mind has perceived. If we knew the way of truth, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit to guide us. So it is important when we come to know the voice of the spirit of truth without knowing his influence it is essential that all of us have a spirit of humility if the spirit is doing the guiding and i will be fed and i will bet when he is leading will not be to a familiar place we should let him do the leading and we should seek to become experts in following we will talk more about this as we go forward in the passage, take it from the thought of the week. We need this Holy Spirit when it comes to knowing biblical truth and biblical, you know, scriptures. So that we are accepted by the guided teaching. The Spirit of Truth is the only one that open our eyes to let us recognize what truth is. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Neither are our ways. Only God's ways is the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is that we should learn what thus says the Lord. So I give you for taking out of the thought of the week. It is very true that we should learn from the Spirit of truth to teach us, to guide us in all directions in our full way of life. Just take it from the thought of the week. I would like to add it, give this to by prayer with the wife. Thank you very much, Dave. Uh, before I proceed, I, I will be praying for our families, ourselves and our families, our extended families. Um, beyond that, do we have any special or specific requests? Well, just for those of us who are still struggling with colds and and sickness, that we get better soon. Okay, thank you for that reminder, Doug. And uh, so let us bow down in, in prayer. And remember that bowing down is not necessarily a physical posture, but a posture of the mind. Um, it is in humility, deep humility, that we come to you, Lord, um, knowing that you hear our prayer and, uh, and respond. So let us pray. Dear Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity that you have repeatedly given us over many, many years um, that it, uh, just time seems to fly, and yet 
we haven't yet another opportunity to look deep into your word and understand your thoughts, not just look at it as if it's some mysterious thing that will not be understood and we just need to behave. It, it is not that. It is about um, giving us knowledge which no eye has seen and no ear heard. We cannot imagine the things that have been prepared for those who love God. And I pray for all of Word is True Church, those on this call and those we, are, um, we know that are affiliated with the church or have them. We pray that their hearts and minds would be turned towards you for a better understanding, a deeper understanding of the truth of your reality in which we live. I pray for the whole body of Christ around the world um, and on around the world and on this battlefield. May we all be um, you know, wary, as, as aware of, of what's going on around us, but realizing that we are not of this world. We are citizens of heaven. We are in the world, and we can have an outcome. Um, we can have a part in God's eternal plan. And let us be thankful that we have that. Every opportunity at every moment, we can spread the peace and the joy that comes with knowing Christ, which is far better than anything that we could achieve on earth. And I pray directly for the um, direct victims of war that we are hearing in the news, um, those on the ground and with their families who are being directly affected by this, um, and also the indirect victims of this war. Um, praying for people all around the world that are getting hit financially or otherwise. Um, I pray for the slaves of the same nature, that they would turn and look to Christ and seek rest for their souls and, and the freedom that comes in Christ and not through any human government. And I pray also for us to, um, as, as we exist in this world, we are subject to the world's illnesses and, and health problems, financial problems, and I, and I pray that you would help us navigate through those things too, so that your glory would be seen through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> thank you, Dwight, and thank you, Dave, too, as well, for the thought of the week. We appreciate that. So we are moving right into our passage, which is John seventeen ten. Hopefully you have notes before you. Uh, it says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. Often, when I think about the magnitude of God, it reminds me of the minuteness of man. This verse has always captured my attention. Quote, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Unquote. That's Psalm 8.4. In every area, man is not in the same ballpark as God. I often wonder, just like the psalmist, why does God want to have fellowship with us? I can certainly tell you what is attractive about God, but what does God see attractive as attractive in man? I'm not sure this is, it is good to go on thinking like this. What I must understand is we are made in the image of God. And as we understand more about the Father's plan, we can see how that can be significant. We can see why the creation of man is necessary and satisfies the eternal purpose of God. <clears throat> so we have a few notes here. Uh, not a whole lot. Looks more than it is. We'll see. We'll see how far we get through it. And uh, we're going to dig in right at this verse. Point, uh, All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. So uh, I just want <clears throat> to... Jesus speaks of the disciples from the standpoint of eternity past in the context. So that's why I, I want to... These first four points really are to direct your attention to the context of where we are in John chapter 17. Uh, without the context, none of this makes much sense to any of us. 
and we would just be able to make up whatever we want from the words that are there. But we really are bound, limited as to what something can mean, biblically speaking, by its context. So let's dig in. So point the first one is uh, verse 6 in the context says, they were yours, you gave them to me. I guess one, one of the things I was trying to illustrate here was how they were the fathers. They, they, Jesus, the father gave them to Jesus. Jesus says, now I'm, I have them, but I'm also, they are yours. He keeps saying they are yours, but you gave them to me and they're mine. So whose are they, I guess, is the question. Do, are we the fathers or are we Christ? Well, hopefully I'm, I'm going to try to answer those questions and that, that thought. And you know who they refers to, refers to the disciples. So we already come that far. And we, we've got this understanding. So let's dig in. So in verse 6, they were yours, you gave them to me. So in eternity past, they belonged to the Father. And they were given to Jesus. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us. Right. So all of that is in, well, that's not all in Ephesians 1.4, but you get the point. He chose us in him. In Romans 8.29, it talks about us being conformed. We, we were, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he gave us to Christ in this way. Not only just, oh, I chose you, I chose you to be in Christ, but I'm conforming you, I'm predestining you, I'm marking out your life specifically in this way. So we have limitations. Predestination is, it, it limits, it marks us out specifically. And specifically, we are, we belong to Christ. So uh, that's what it means when it says they were yours. It means that the Father chose us to be in Christ. Now, he, he could have chose others. He could have chose others from other dispensations. But he chose us to be in Christ in this age. So that's specific. And, and when I say us, really, you know I mean the disciples here. Right? He, he's talking... He hasn't pivoted yet to the church to talk about this. But if, by him pivoting, he's saying that everything that is about them is about us. So I could say us. I could dispense with saying the disciples, but I want to be specific until he makes it. Uh, but, but I already know what verse 20 says, so I can keep reading. In fact, let me just read verse 20 so I can expand this conversation. My prayer is not for them alone. So now, if, if the prayer is not for... And this is, we never really said it before. It's not just for the disciples then. If it's not for them alone. It's talking about the disciples. It's talking about us. So could we say in verse 20 that everything that's said about the disciples is true of us as well? I think we can. I think that is the point that Jesus is making in verse 20. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I'm not just praying for the disciples alone. I'm praying the disciples are the foundation. We are the body. I mean, what would a church be if it was only a foundation? It has to include the body. So if the foundation was chosen, we are chosen. If the foundation... The, the disciples were the father's choice. We are the father's choice. We're not random. This is very specific for what God is, uh, wants to do in the church and uh, in the establishment of the church. So point two in our notes, verse seven. So it says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. The disciples understand that everything Jesus did, the signs, the miracles, etc., came from the Father. Even them, their election. Right? So <clears throat> everything. I have John 14, 
10 and 11 for this. Let's just look at, looking back at John 14, 10 and 11 says, uh, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living me in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. The works themselves uh, are evidence that the Father is living in Christ. That's what Christ is saying. So... Uh, even the disciples were the Father's choice. Everything is the, belongs to the Father. Christ said, I'm not here for my, to do my own will. I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. Those are important verses for us to consider. So uh, in, in the comment that we're trying to dissect, which is all I have is yours and all you have is mine. So and then again in verse 9, we, which we spoke about last week, um, now I'm, Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours, right? And there again, it says, even though they were yours, but here it says they are yours. You gave them to me, right? So even though we belong to Jesus because we were given to him by the Father, we are brought into unique relationship with both. That's why it talks about that. Because, because Jesus saying this, all I have is yours and all you have is mine, is not just, just well, I'm just saying these words. They, are, they mean something and they are trying to tell us something about the plan. Right? Why is Jesus saying this? Is because this facilitates bringing us into relationship with both of them. Okay? That's what's important. So John 17, 21 and 24. So let's read it. 17, 21 <clears throat> says that all of them may be one. All of them? Who's all of them? That's the disciples, the foundation, and us too. Maybe one father. And then the oneness that he's talking about is the same way, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's the oneness that is being spoken of by Jesus. That facilitates what he was aiming for when he said, all I have is yours, all you have is mine. Right? That relationship was so that people would be ushered into this relationship, uh, which is with the Father and with the Son. That's unique. We're one with the Father and one with Jesus. Well, if he gave us to Christ, where we're already one in Christ, but now that relationship that we have with Christ being unique, being the union through the baptism of the Spirit, brings us in relationship with the Father as well. And all this is done by means of God the Holy Spirit. So we're just putting little things together. We can't say all these things in the notes because the notes are to remind us of these things. But John 17, 24 says, Father, I want those you have given me. Again, the same thing you have given me. That's specific because this is the plan that the Father have chosen certain ones, right? And Christ says, you've given them to me, right? To be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Wow, that goes back all the way to verse 5, doesn't it? Interesting. We're going to get more to, into that thought as we continue. So that was verse 9. Right? It, it talks about we are brought into a unique relationship with both the Father and with the Son. Verse 10 is where we are today. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. So this verse speaks of mutual possession. We've talked about mutual possession in the past, where one person indwells the other person. What Christ is saying, the Father is in me, and then he didn't just say, well, his principles and his theories and his thoughts are in his plans. I mean, no, he says the Father is living in him. It's a difference. It's not just, oh, well, 
I'm in Christ, meaning I'm on the same page as Christ. This is a spiritual dynamic that happens in us, in this particular age, where we are identified, taken out of Adam, and identified with the person of Christ. And then we know the reverse is true, that Christ is also identified with us. So when we talk about the mutual possession, we sh- it's a sharing of what we have. So it has to do with submission, it has to do with um, the other person who is in us, in this case it was is Christ, living our lives through us, right? through our submission to him. So it's not just, oh, well, Christ is in me, so he's just going to take over and do everything. No, it, it is now a collaborative effort to submit for us to submit to Christ and for Christ to take the reins and live his life in us. And this is the life that we are talking about is the resurrection life. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, but I just, at least it should be stated. It speaks of mutual possession. Since this is the case, we can see why there is a sharing of the disciples, which is the foundation of the church. Yeah. So just imagine um, this language is used for our age. And when we think about what, the, what is involved when we think about the church, the church is in Christ, but it is Christ's life that should be manifested in those who are here. So we share our life with Christ in this way. He's sharing his resurrection life with us. We are sharing our earthly life with him. Although it is our life to live, well, not really, because it says we're dead, but we can still be stubborn about it and choose to live our life if we want to, or we can submit our lives to the lordship of Christ. And he lived through us. And if we do that, the Bible talks about there are rewards for us. So it is the foundation of the church. This dynamic, right, that it started with the disciples. It it gravitates to us as we believe in him. But it is a part of the foundation of the church. It was there. Okay, so this is the first part of it, which went pretty quick. Well, there's more. But this first part went pretty quick. It was really just about the context. It's just to note that this language of all I have is yours and all you have is mine has been in the context, right? This is not something new to us. And we've talked about it before. I just want to make sure we integrate the words going forward with the context. Point B in our notes. For Christ, the Father, uh, the Father... For Christ and the Father, how does this mutual possession work? Okay, so what I'd like to try to do in this section is explain some of the results of what we call mutual possession. What is mutual possession? All I have is yours, all you have is mine. This is what we're going to talk about what that means. Or Jesus said it in another way. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Right? The same thing. Another, same thing, but another way to say it. So what does it mean to be in another person? Well, that dynamic can't be something that human beings can accomplish only by God, the Holy Spirit, which we will see. So I take the first phrase, all I have is yours. I try to give some results of that. And then I'll take the second phrase, and all you have is mine, and give some results from that. First point is all I have is yours. Jesus's unique relationship with the Father speaks of the Father indwelling Jesus by the Spirit. The Father in Christ speaks of the Father's access in this world. So when I say that, if the Father is in Christ, he now is able to interact and have access to those who are in the world. For instance, uh, we'll, we'll go through a couple verses, uh, John 17, 20 through 22, which we saw 
Now, every time we read the same verse, if you say, oh, well, you know, he's reading that same verse, but that verse has, is multifaceted. It can apply to different truths. It establishes and confirms di different truths. So don't look at, oh, I really read this verse. Yeah, but read it again because now it also proves this point. Right? So all of that goes and moves the, the needle forward to establishing what is truth. So let's look at this again. Um, so it establishes and it speaks of the Father's access in the world. So 17, 20 through 20, my prayer is not for them alone, but for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me. Interesting. That they may be one as we are one. So Christ is saying, what you gave me, I gave them. And then part of that is relationship, part of that is result. Glory speaks of result, right? The relationship is ongoing. We have this relationship where we, are, we indwell Christ and Christ indwells us. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. Right? That's how we see it. And... Uh, so it was with Christ. How did we get into this relationship with the Father? It's because, because Christ had this relationship with the Father. The Father was in Christ, and Christ was in the Father. So that relationship that Christ had is given to us. Not only is the relationship given to us, but the glory, the resultant glory from the Father's eternal purpose, from eternity past, is also given to us. We need to talk about that a little bit more, and we will. But at this point, what we are establishing is that the Father now has access in the world to, to move, to interact, to share his plan, all of that through the person of Christ. And that is through this mutual possession. Then 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, let's look at it um, here. It says that God, now when it says we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, that's from God. Now who is God here? Right? What do we mean from God? He's talking about God the Father because he's talking about being in Christ earlier. So who, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. So all this is from God, God the Father. Who reconciled us through to himself uh, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation now we can go out and tell people about what happened what Christ did and how can we be reconciled to God and then but look at this verse 519 that God 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 the Father was reconcil reconciling the world to himself in Christ so he was in Christ and he was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. In other words, that's not a matter of reconciliation. Sins, right? They're not on the table. Right? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Again, we spend a lot of time talking about this. We're ambassadors and all of that. And, and how this is the message that we ought to have to the world, not... Uh, you know, stop abortion, stop homosexuality, stop sinning, you know, all this stuff. Sins are not on the table. Sins are off the table. And God's not counting whatever sins there are against people. That's not the point of the gospel. It's free. You know, I think people don't come to the gospel. Christians often are in the way, trying to tell them how they live their lives and all this stuff. Uh, about their chase uh, behavior, their morality, and all this, and 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 people react to that. And like, I don't know if I can shoulder that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I could be like you. Right? But really, they sh they should be leading with is this the gospel information? What we call the good news. The good news is well, yeah, we're in dire straits when it comes to uh, salvation. We're lost under the wrath of God, condemned. But there's good news. Good news is that God fixed all the bad news. He, 
that's the plan, which is to reconcile us to himself. But he was doing it in Christ. He was here, present in Christ, when Christ walked the earth. Christ even said, the words I speak to you, they're not my words, they're the Father's words. So it's not counting people's sins against them. I threw a little bit of salvation talk in there because of the scripture, but that point I was making is right there. So back to our notes. That's the point the Father has access in this world. He does. Point number uh, two. All I have is yours. We're still focused on that point. What does Jesus have? So if Jesus is saying, everything I have is yours, what if we were to say this as unbelievers? That all I have is yours. Well, we don't have anything. We're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. We have no righteousness, all of our sins, right? We're spiritually dead. We're already condemned by God. What could we give God? Nothing. We're not in a position to give God anything. We don't have anything to give. But Jesus did. He did. When he says, all I have is yours, that's what we have to consider. What did Jesus have? We had, he had his life in time. And he was, this is when he came into the world. It says, and the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. It's John 1, 14. The thought speaks of a submission to the Father's will by Jesus and their unique relationship, allowing the Father access to accomplish his will through Jesus. Now, this is pretty much the same as point number one. However, I'm trying to add a couple thoughts so that we round it out, make it, you know, stand on its own feet. So this is part of it. So John 14, 7 through 10, right? The Father's access is important, right? That, that this is the point that it's making. Why are we making this point? Because of mutual possession. We're seeing that Christ cooperated with uh, this spiritual dynamic and allowed the Father access to his life. Yeah. It'd be saying, well, I'm going to let somebody stay in my house. Uh, that means they have access to my house now. I'm going to give them a key. They can, they can come and go as they please. And that's opening up my house to that person. That's giving them the freedom inside. Well, in, in essence, not in essence, really, but sort of like that's what happened because Jesus' life is surrendered to the Father. That's why he said, I, I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. I'm doing, I'm, this is, what I'm doing here is what he's doing here. He's the one doing, not me, Jesus is saying. I'm just here allowing the Father to function in me. So John 14, 7, Jesus says this, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Well, there it is. I mean, literally, it's not, he's not saying, let me introduce you to the Father. No, he, he's basically saying, you already know the Father. How do you know him? Because he's been operating in me all this time. That's how you know the Father. Then he just comes right out and says, look, from now on, even if you're telling me you don't know him, <clears throat> then, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, hmm dealing with some remnants myself. So even if you say you don't know him, you do know him. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And this is, this is a fact because the Father was in Christ. We just read reconciling the world to himself. The Father was in Christ teaching the disciples and revealing his plan and on. And, and even when it came to the salvation of all mankind, it was the Father who imputed the sins to the person of Christ, the, the body of Christ, and the humanity of Christ. And that is what became a sin offering for the whole world. John said it best when he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when he saw Jesus coming. So he says, From now on you do know him and you have seen him. Verse 8, Philip said, Quickly, the Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, what Jesus is saying here to Philip 
is the father's enemy. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one making the decisions. He's the he's the one you know. And you just don't realize, but he's the one that you've been following all this time. It's the father. You see, I went here and I went over there. Well, that was the father telling me to go over here and over there. You've been following the father all along. Don't you know me, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. How can you say that? And then he goes into, don't you believe? If you don't believe that, the dynamics that are going on inside of it, I'm telling you that this is what's going on, but you might not still believe it. And he goes into telling them that the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. It's the father living in me who is doing his work. Notice, his work. That's what's happening. Believe me when I say it. I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. This is very base that Jesus goes here with the disciples, because he also goes here with the same thought in John chapter 10, when he's dealing with the Pharisees. He says, "If, if I'm doing the works of the Father, well, then you have to believe it. You should believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. We're going to cover that later, so we won't go over it uh, in detail at this point. But yes, that, that's the, the verse there in John 14. And then Colossians 3. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Oh, in verse 24. You already know verse 24, which says, anyone who does, this is John 14, 24. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. But then he says, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And what words were they? Well, those were those those words you talked about uh, uh, on that day. You will realize that I am in the Father, and my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The same stuff we've been talking about. What is it? Mutual possession. He says, that's the Father's telling you. He's not hiding the fact that he's in me. He's telling you this information. Then... Um, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. We'll go quickly through that. Colossians 3 speaks to this point. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Now I know this is, this is our relationship, but our relationship can be used to understand uh, what was going on with the Father and Christ. Because what was, what was happening with the Father and Christ was parlayed into the church age. So that's what we have, that same relationship. That's what Jesus meant when he said, on that day you will realize. Because why? Because you, the Father and Christ, will be in you and you will be in the Father. Right? That's John 20, 7, uh, 14, 20 through 23. So I'm just using our relationship and our mutual possession with Christ to show what it means that, that Christ had this mutual possession with the Father. Let's look at this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So now, it's interesting to note that you're raised with Christ. You're in Christ, right? You're saved. You're in Christ and seated in the heavenly realms. What should you be thinking about? Not what's going on here. What's going on where he is. Why? Because we have access to Christ. The only reason why we can know these things it's because the spirit of truth has led and guided us so that we can understand what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has, neither has it entered into the heart of man. It's the only reason why we have access to view Christ, what's going on in Christ. Because we are in him. That's why. And he is in us. So this is the part where we are in him. Well, what, what should we do? Remember, this is all voluntary. This is not just, well, I'm in here and I'm going to do what I want to do. It's about submission. It's about us giving Christ access to our lives, which we're going to read. But Christ, we don't have to say submit to him because that he needs to submit to us because this is the plan that he revealed this information to us. Later, we're going to have more of what it means to be in Christ, the indwelling of the person of Christ. We're going to have more of that. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you died. 
See, you have been positionally separated from this world. He is bidding now that you experience that, that separation and begin to focus your attention on heavenly things, things above. You died. And, and you can't reverse that. That's the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, we died with Christ. We were buried with Him and we rose to new life. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So there it is. Your life, the real you now, there it is, hidden with Christ in God. So where is Christ? He's in heaven. And, but what does Christ have? The mind of Christ. That's available to us. All that he has is the mind of Christ. Where did he get that from? Got it from the Father. Who's, who's the one who reveals it? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So you have both sides of it. We have the side that says where our lives really are. They're in, in Christ, right? This is real, our true life is. But there's not really seen at this point. It's hidden. People in the world can't see it. But it will be revealed in due time. In due time. And then Galatians 2.20, Paul says it. Same thing, Galatians 2.20. Now this is the, the side of it on earth, right? I have, I have been crucified with Christ. This is what he means by what other verse meant by we are dead or for you died because the baptism of the spirit it baptizes you into Christ into his death for Christ was crucified so are we we identify with Christ in his death and and I no longer live what do you mean you no longer live well how are we reading what you're writing if that's the case uh, Apostle Paul it's because you do live but you, you're not dead, but your life is hidden with Christ in God, right? But so, so he says, but the life I, he lived prior to this, the life he lived in the flesh, he's dead to that. Earlier he said uh, he is dead to the law. That's verse 19, Galatians 2, 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. That's a summarization of what we're reading here. And, and this expands it a little more in verse 20. So, look, for a Pharisee, the law was everything. The, the law was his life for a Pharisee. I mean, it, you couldn't even think of a Pharisee and then, and then in the same sentence not think about the law. Because that is what they were all about. But he says he died to the law. He was separated from the law by means of this operation, the baptism of the Spirit, why? So that he might live for God. Then he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So there it is. Christ lives in me. Isn't that the same language we saw where Christ was saying to Philip and, and others, the other disciples? He says, the Father lives in me. He is doing his will. Right? It's, that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul is saying, but he's saying it about Christ. Christ lives in me. So who's, who's literally the animation of Paul? It's Christ. Now, again, it has to do by submission, right? Can't just say, oh, in our lives, that oh, once Christ is in you, that means you're going to automatically do thus and so. No, it, it is a matter of our humility and our knowledge and submission the spiritual dynamic that controls, that can control the way we live. That's what we're talking about, being filled with the Spirit, which is an influence. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, I trust Christ. I trust the Word of God. The Spirit of truth directs me, and I trust Christ in me to live my life. Yeah. So let's go back to the notes. And point number three, let's move forward. All I have is yours. We're still on that phrase. So everything Jesus has, he has given to the Father. That's John 14, 31. I love the Father, 
and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. So by Jesus' submission, it allows the Father to use him in the world, especially for the Father's eternal purposes. Now, we're not only talking about the salvific work of Christ, but we're talking about all of the work of Christ, even where he is establishing the church and preparing the disciples. That's the next point. But let's look at this Philippians passage once here, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Um, who, Christ, uh, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the serpent, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Here it is. In humility, this is what we got to do. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He submitted to the Father. He allowed the Father to do whatever his plan was. And we know what it is, but he allowed the Father to do that through him while he was here on earth. So what did the Father do? He responded with this. Therefore God, this is God the Father, exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the man, Christ Jesus. Imagine that. Elevated, glorified to this position. Every tongue could acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Such a profound verse. Point four. Two tasks uh, Jesus submitted to on behalf of the Father. So these two, th these two, th two things. One is the salvation, right? So the Father was able to not only judge the sins in the person of Christ, but He was able to uh, have Christ submit to Him and fulfill all righteousness. In other words, God provides salvation through the person of Christ. We believe in Christ, he saves us, right? And he provides, he already provided the atonement. We are, 1 John 2, 2 says that Christ is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And that means the Father is satisfied with the work of Christ in our behalf. And now, of course, Christ couldn't heap the sins on himself. The Father is the one who imputed those sins to Christ and judged them. He judged them to the, to the extent to, to, to where he was satisfied. What do you mean judged? Punished. He punished Christ. His wrath punished Christ to the extent to where he was satisfied. So that's why we say propitiation is that the Father is satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. It doesn't say whether Christ is satisfied. It doesn't say whether we are satisfied. It says the Father is satisfied. And he was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting our sins against him. Well, who did he count them against? He counted them against Christ. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. So we took his righteousness as a result. How do we get his righteousness? The Father imputes the righteousness of Christ to everyone who believes, whether we're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. It's grace, just like salvation. So that's one thing, and we think we can think about that as long around the salvation work of Christ that um, Jesus came to fulfill when he was here. And then two, the church. He prepare, preparing the disciples for their new role and uh, in the foundation of the church. So, so Christ prepared the disciples to be in the foundation, but the, their new role also speaks of the new dispensation that dawned and they were a part of, that this whole eternal purpose of God being revealed. So it's not just the church, but it is God's plan moving forward in this age. He had to prepare the disciples for that. And, and they were to be uh, on the ground, God's representatives, 
to go out, build churches, evangelize, right? All of, all of that. As we saw, we are ambassadors for God. All of us have that responsibility to go out and preach the gospel. So Ephesians 2.20 says that this, we are the disciples are part of the foundation. Jesus himself is in the foundation, along with prophets who have established the mystery information or revealed the inf mystery information. Prophets have done that. So those three things are in the foundation. All right, so where are we now? Uh, we got a little bit more time, so let's keep going. Um, five. Okay, so we're turning the corner now. We already dealt with all I have is yours. How did that, what does that mean? We already came to that understanding. All I have is yours. Now we're dealing with, and all you have is mine. All you have is mine. So who's, who's the players here? So the Father, all that the Father has is mine. Mine is Christ. Christ is saying this. He's praying to the Father. All and all you have is mine. What does it mean? So, uh, the Father has given everything to the Son. That's what it means. This speaks, he says all. It speaks of Jesus indwelling the Father by the Spirit. So, John, and this is, uh, this is where we do go to John chapter 10, uh, 29 through 38. Let's go there. And just keep in mind why we're there. Right? We're there to help understand right? what does it mean and all you have is mine. The Father has given everything to the Son. This speaks of Jesus indwelling the Father by the Spirit. Right? And what do we mean by that, indwelling the Father by the Spirit? We're talking about that mutual possession thing again. Mutual possession. And that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We're talking about this part where I am in the Father right now. Okay, so this verse 29 through 38 helps to illustrate my point here. Here it is. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Then he says, which is surprising, I and the father are one. Well, that is a profound statement. So we understand that who the Father is because of the work of the Spirit. It facilitates that Jesus is saying that I have the same thing as the Father. I and the Father are one. He just said the Father is greater than he is. Let's just look at this. Verse 28, I give them eternal life. No one can ever, uh, they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. But then he says, I and the father are one. Well, same thing we have been talking about before, about those who are given to him and all that, right? And he says, I and the father are one. Well, how did the Jews understand this? Right? They said the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, to kill him. They wanted to kill After he said that, but Jesus explores what they understood, right? And he, let's dissect it a little bit. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Again, it's the same thing, right? Good works. They saw it. They saw the works. For which of these do you stone me? And their response, we are not stoning you for any good work, they reply, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. When did Jesus claim to be God? Right there in verse 30. I and the Father are one. They understand the Father to be God. If you say you're one with God, then you're saying you're God. They wanted to kill him. It was enough for them. That's it. I don't need to hear another word. Let's pick up. They were picking up the stones. Jesus said, hold it, hold it, hold it. 
why are you doing this? Why are you trying to kill me? Because why? What did I do? Haven't I shown you what the Father has done through me? So notice, this relationship doesn't just mean, oh, well, it, it, that the Father is using Christ. It is more than that. It is about the relationship it brings Christ into. We're talking about the man Christ Jesus here. That's why he said he's greater than all. The man Christ Jesus is telling you that the relationship that he has with the Father, where he says, I and the Father are one. And the, the, the Jews understood that to be blasphemy. It's not blasphemy. Because it is the actual work of the Spirit bringing Christ into relationship and sharing who the everything the Father is is shared by the person of Christ. Yeah. Now we can say Christ is a man, yes, but he's the God-man. That's what we have to know. <clears throat> he was God, but as a man, he's a man. But this, what's going on with this dynamic here, Christ has the same relationship with God as the Father does. I mean, the, the prerogatives, that is. All I have, this is what he says, and all you have is mine. All you have is mine. So let's see, let's continue. What, what does Jesus say? Uh, let's, let's see how it comes out. Okay, Jesus answered them. Right? You, you are a mere man claiming to be God. It is, now, so Jesus is throwing something in the law, right? He says, in your law, uh, it is written. Is it, no, he says, is it not written? This is verse 34, in your law, I have said, you are gods. So uh, that is a psalm, and it is written in the law. Right, it, so so that they had the scripture before him, and Jesus is making the point. Well, you're stoning me, but wait, they called them gods in the Old Testament. So what's the problem here? Why are you stoning me? Now he's not saying he's not God, but he's saying, don't stone me because you you think, you know, uh, I call myself God's son, and you think that that's a violation. Let me just show you something here. He says, if he called them, verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do, do, do not believe me. Now, this is the qualification of, uh, of the whole thing. Verses 37 and 38. This is where we said earlier. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. If I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand. And here's that relationship that we're talking about. That the Father is in me and I in the Father. That's the relationship that Christ has, that facilitates everything he does and says, especially those things that they consider blasphemy. You a mere man claiming to be God. He says, if I'm demonstrating this. this I'm showing you this. You've seen good works. So don't, don't question it from that standpoint. You know that what I'm telling you is God has to be in us. Like Nicodemus said, we know that God is with you because no one can do the kind of works you're doing except that God is with him. So that is telling us that the Father has given everything to the Son, even to the point where the Son has claimed divine prerogatives. Well, I say divine prerogatives. Well, here, Jesus came right out and said it. That he's talking about giving them eternal life. Him and the Father are one then he has the, the power to forgive sins. And if you keep reading, he will raise the dead, he will judge. The, the whole world will be judged by the Son. I mean, this, these are all prerogatives of God. And, Christ for the, and, and each one of these times when Christ did this, when Christ did forgive sins, the, the Pharisees jumped up and, and were alarmed 
about this. They didn't understand the relationship that we have is that unique. We share everything the Father has. Well, let's, we're on Christ at this point. Christ shares everything that the Father has. That's exactly the point we're proving. Point six in our notes. Let's keep going. What does the Father have? So let's just think about it. We, the Father has his eternal purpose in which he accomplishes he accomplishes this through Jesus. Right? So that's uh, John 16, 15. Let's look at that one. Here it is. When we say he has the eternal purpose, this is what, the, when we talk about the Father, we're speaking about the Father's plan. So he says in verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So the things that we're learning when Jesus says, I got much more to tell you, but more than you can now bear. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you in all truth. Right? That information is from the Father. And Jesus got it from the Father, but it belongs to Jesus now. He's acknowledging that it is the Father's plan. That's exactly where we are in this point. And uh, here it says, this is point number six. What does the Father have? He has his eternal purpose in which he is accomplishing. Now, you know, there's other verses. Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined, right? That predestined those people was uh, was hidden in, in, in God before time began. Nobody knew about that we would be in Christ. This is all part of the mystery. Even what this information is that Jesus is revealing in John 16, 15 from the Father, it's all a mystery. And then in Ephesians 3.11, it also talks about um, Ephesians 3 and 11. It says, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So through Christ Jesus, he was able to accomplish. Who's he? The Father was able to accomplish his eternal purpose. And we have much to say about that eternal purpose in, in time here. We have a lot to learn as, it re- result, as a result of us being given the eternal purpose. Point seven, and all you have is mine, and focus on that next half of the verse, of the phrase rather. Jesus' work began before he arrived in the world. So let's look at this. John 1, 3 talks about through him all things. Let's read it. John 1, 3 says through him. In other words, the Father was accomplishing his eternal purpose by creating all things in Christ. In other words, in other words this is the plan. Let's pull the trigger. And how do we do it? What's the first step first physical step we need to make it is create the creation of all things and what does it say through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made I think that's complete nothing had been made prior to that point nothing Christ created everything there is all creation is about the, the Father's eternal purpose. And Christ was being used through him. All of these things were accomplished even before Christ was uh, came into this world. Also, um, where are we? We have Colossians 1, 15 through 19, which also speaks of creation. But, but in that, I want you to take your time and read those verses. It talks about all these things were created by him and for him. And then Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, talks about the agency of Christ again. Through him, he framed the ages or created the world. Yeah. So Hebrews, in other words, the Father was using the person of Christ to execute his plan even in the creation of the world and the establishment of all that has been done, even 
Christ is the Lord of Israel. He's over Israel as well. So, as the Messiah, he is their Messiah. And we're moving to point eight. And all you have is mine. We're still on that phrase. The father-son metaphor teaches us about adoption, and that's Roman-style adoption. We think about Roman-style adoption, we're talking about what? This is also used for us, and it refers to the greatest transfer of wealth and power. So when we talk about the transfer of wealth and power, uh, wow, I think what we are going to do is we're going to stop at this point because not only does this information you know, require time and detail for us to go into, but we want to take the time and detail. So we won't rush through it. We'll take our time and pick up next week right here at point number eight. And we'll then finish C, and then we'll go into the next phrase, which is, and glory has come to me through them. We've got to understand what that means as well. But you have the notes. If you want to get ahead of me, go right ahead. If you want to figure out where I'm going, that'd be great. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be able to share my notes with you. So this is all good. So let's do this. Next week, let's convene. Let's talk more as we uh, focus our attention on these important verses in John 17. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we have. It's been precious. And we pray that we'll come again next week, that God willing, we'll be here and we'll be able to continue our thoughts on these most important matters. Not only do they talk about the plan of God, the eternal purpose of the Father, they also talk about the significance that man brings to the picture. What does man, what is man that you are mindful of him? So we thank you for this opportunity that you have put us in, that you've chosen us in him before the creation of the world. We thank you for adoption and predestination, all those important things and words that speak of what you wanted out of the creation of all things. We thank you for this church, those who are faithful and coming week after week. We, we, we thank you for uh, knowing that we have a, a church where we can come and discuss these important matters. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.